Good morning, everyone. And each and every week, without fail, God is good. And all the time. Amen. What a great reminder. So for you guys who don't know, I'm Pastor Eric. I am the associate pastor slash youth pastor here on staff. And it's my absolute privilege to be a part of our teaching team. So I get to come up here every so often and preach to you guys. And I do truly believe that God has given me a gift to speak. And I am honored that you guys allow me to use that gift that he has given me. So thank you so much for that. And for you guys who are just joining us this week for the first time, or you've missed the last couple weeks, we're in the middle of a series on mental health. We're doing a six-week series on mental health, and we are on week five. There we go, I knew it. The first three weeks were just an overview of what mental health is from a biblical perspective. Last week was on anxiety, and today I'll introduce the topic in a second, but if you guys missed anything and you want to look back and see what we were talking about, we're on YouTube or we're on pod- podcasts as well, anywhere you have them, just Montclair.Church, and you can find us, and I would recommend going back and listening to it, because I think it's been very enlightening and has helped a lot of people with the feedback we've gotten. So today, the topic we have is shame. It's a topic absolutely no one wants to talk about, and yet I chose to talk about it. I, you can call me crazy, you can call me stupid, you can call me whatever you want, but I think it is extremely important to talk about, because shame and sin sometimes can't even be differed. They're very similar, and we see that in today's scripture, that our shame and our sin are almost tied together in a way that you can't differentiate them. So before we begin, and knowing that this is a heavy topic, I want to start in prayer. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for being a God who loves us, a God who sent his son to die for us, a God who despite our sin, despite our shame, despite everything that's happened to us, and despite everything we will do, Lord, you still love us. You have chosen to love us before we were ever even created, Lord, and we thank you for that. And today I ask that you take away my words, that you take away anything I've prepared and that you speak through me, Lord. I ask for your Holy Spirit to enter me and to enter the hearts of everyone here, Lord, that my words will disappear and that your Holy Spirit will intercede what I am saying to impact everyone, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start off with a story, and Ernie, you can go to the slide of the pictures of me. I mean... You guys can say all. It's, it's adorable. Aww. I was looking to match myself with plaid pants and a blue shirt. Um, I didn't have those plaid pants anymore. But this was me when I was three. And I really do have to say, I was pretty handsome. Um, I was really cute. Look at those big blue eyes. Some of you guys actually knew me when I was three here. A lot of you guys actually did. And what you don't see behind these photos is this is when the shame in my life started. When I was three, I had a very bad speech impediment. I had to get surgery for my tongue so that I could say my R's, my L's, and so many different language words correctly. And for a guy whose name is Eric, if you can't say your R's, you can't introduce yourself. So my earliest memories is me going to an adult, looking up and going, hi, my name's Erwek. And I'm going, what? I'm Erwek. And saying that about eight times before looking around for my sister, for my mom, for someone to tell them what my name is. And this lasted until I was in sixth grade. I got better and I was able to kind of say my name, but I still was not able to talk fully correctly. And then on top of that, I also had multiple learning disabilities, which made school almost impossible. I did kindergarten twice because I didn't even know my ABCs or anything like that. And I was horrible at school. And it took me, honestly, until I was doing my master's to realize that I wasn't actually horrible in school because I still believed I was because of this. And I want to make it clear, my parents, my teachers, and everyone around me was loving and supporting. No one ever told me that I was stupid. No one ever told me that I couldn't talk. No one ever told me 
that I was different than everyone else. But I got bad grades. Spelling tests, they were the epitome of my school. I would honestly try to act sick every time I had a spelling test because I couldn't spell. Whenever I had to introduce myself, I honestly went back and forth about just saying my name's Joe, because I could say Joe, I couldn't say Eric. There's all these different things, and this shame started building up in me. And it got to a point where I truly started to believe that I was truly stupid, and that was my identity. That I was worthless. That I had no worth in school and I should have just dropped out that I was unworthy of love and that I was completely different than anyone else and why would they ever want to be my friends? This shame was getting built up from this early of an age in me. And it's followed me throughout my entire life. It's followed me throughout high school where up into my junior year, I just thought I should have dropped out of school because I couldn't do it. And then God grabbed a hold of my life and said, no, I want you to go to school. And I said, how dare you? And I followed his call to go to my master's, but it took me up until my master's program the first year to realize that I actually wasn't bad at school, that I actually wasn't stupid, that I actually wasn't worthless, that I actually wasn't all of these things that shame told me to believe since the age of three. And it's been a long journey and I'm still working on overcoming the shame, but this is a way of saying that shame enters our lives and sometimes we don't even know it. Shame is this thing and I'm gonna define it with three terms. And the shame is defined as an all too human experience of feeling naked, rejected, and unclean. And this is a definition I modified to fit what we're gonna be talking about today and to fit more of a biblical worldview. And we're gonna talk about it in much more depth, but just to get a general idea, being naked is being that everyone can see all of your flaws, and if they see all of your flaws, why would they ever love you? Being rejected is being an outcast, being unloved, not feeling you belong with anyone. And being unclean is having this deep feeling that you are not worthy of love. Have this deep feeling that there is something wrong with you and no matter what you do, no matter what you try, no matter what happens in your life, you can't escape that feeling. And these are the three emotions that shame connects with each and every one of us. And it's something to some extent that we all kind of feel. And now I do wanna say that shame is not a diagnosable mental health disorder. It's not in the DSM-5, but it has very strong correlations to many mental health disorders from anxiety to depression to bipolar to so many other ones, it's showing that there's a correlation between the level of shame we have and the mental health issues we have. And there's also a direct correlation between the shame we have and our self-confidence, and our self-perspective, and how we view ourselves and how others view ourselves. And it's also important to say that shame is not saying I did something wrong. Shame is not saying, hey, I failed that spelling test. That's guilt, and I have a whole bunch of notes, actually, when I was doing this sermon, I took six pages of notes on guilt, and then I threw them all out. So maybe that will be another message for another time. But guilt is saying, I did something bad. I didn't study enough for that exam on my spelling test. First, shame saying, I am worthless because I failed that spelling test. I am unlovable because I can't do well in school. Shame is an identity. It's not just saying, I have done something wrong. It is saying, I am that very thing. I am unlovable. I am a loser. I am filthy. I am disgusting. I am an outcast. I am repulsive. I am worthless. I am a mistake. And I am a failure. Shame tells us each and every one of those things to an extent. And I could honestly see some of you guys recessing in your seats when I said some of those words. A tear might have even come to the eye. And I know shame is a very difficult thing to talk about 
because we truly believe these things. And when we experience shame and we're confronted with it, when we're confronted with feeling like we're unlovable, when we're feeling like we're one of these things, our first instinct is to run and hide. So some of you guys may be looking around saying, where's the bathroom? Uh, is it too late to sign up to help with Children's Church? Can I be in the back for welcome desk? Both those answers, it's not too late, but not for this message. Next week, we can get you started. But we want to escape. We want to hide. We want to run away from our shame. So what I want to challenge each and every one of you guys to do is if you were listening to those words and you kind of got a little twinge when I mentioned one of them, stay present. Don't look down at your phone. Don't look for a way to escape. Because the message we have today, I truly believe, can be life-changing for your shame. And the message ultimately God has about our shame can change it completely. So I know it's going to be difficult when we're talking about shame, we're talking about this thing that we don't want to ever talk about. But just try to stay present, try to stay focused, and I'll try to make it as easy to understand as possible. So now that we understand what shame is, and it's this deep belief that says, I am unworthy, I am unlovable, I am this thing that is undesirable, we need to understand where shame came from. And from a psychological sense, shame came from when we were children, shame came from maybe an unloving parent or maybe just not being good at something and learning that everyone's better than you. It could have come from abuse, it could have come from sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse. It could come from so many different places, but we're not here to learn about psychology. We're here to learn about the Bible. So if you guys wanna learn about where shame came from, I would love to have a conversation with you after service, but today we're gonna to focus on where it came from in the Bible. And for that, we have to go all the way back to before the fall. And you guys may be getting tired of us going in this mental health series all the way back to Genesis. We've been learning about it for about five weeks now, but it is truly the beginning of where shame came. So shame started way before the fall even started. Genesis 2, 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was absolutely no shame in the Garden of Eden. There was no place for nakedness. And this is not just physical, this is emotional. Honestly, the physicalness of nakedness was a part of the fall, but we can wait until the second coming to get rid of that. Um, I am more than okay with that. But the physical nakedness of feeling like all of our flaws, all of our past mistakes, all of our emotional hurts, all of our relational hurts can be seen, that is what the true nakedness is. And that was the shame that was introduced then. A shame of ourselves of feeling like we are not worthy of someone else to know who we are. If they knew who we were, knew who we were they would run away. But in the Garden of Eden, that did not exist. There was no nakedness. There was no shame associated with that. There was no shame and no rejection. We were in perfect relationship with God. We were in perfect relationship with our others. We were in perfect relationship with the creation of this earth. Everything was perfect. And we were not considered unclean. We were considered holy. Holy meaning that we were being able to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in God. We were completely holy. We were not separate from anyone. We were not considered unclean. Everything was perfect, and shame was non-existent. That was until Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. This was when sin entered our world. This was when sin of the world, sin of our mind, sin of our spirits, sin of our body, just sin in general that deteriorates us was entered into this world. And with sin, with sin came shame almost immediately. We read in just the next verse that the first head of shame, and that's the way I like to do it. The definition 
you give three different categories of shame, three different areas that it brings up. I like to call it the three-headed dragon of shame. There's three different heads of this, and we're going to talk about that. The first one is our nakedness. Genesis 3, 7, one verse after sin has entered this world. Then the eye of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The first thing that happens after sin entered this world was shame. They were now ashamed of their physical bodies that God told them they should not be ashamed of. And with that was also shame of being known, of being known in the deepest sense, of being known in our true emotions and our true beliefs and our true thoughts and our true selves. We were now afraid of that. We were now shamed of who we were. And the first thing we did was cover ourselves. And then immediately after that, we read in the next verses, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God all among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. The first thing shame tells us to do when we don't want to show people our true selves because we're afraid they're going to reject us, we're afraid that shame is telling us that we're unworthy, is we hide. In the same way we clothe ourselves so we couldn't be seen naked, we hide from God, we hide from others. Our shame tells us that we need to hide ourselves. We need to hide our thoughts, we need to hide our bodies, we need to hide everything about us because it is dirty. There's something wrong with us and we need to hide it so no one can see. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of when Adam and Eve hid from God. And then we see the second head of shame. Genesis 3, 23 through 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden and they work, to work the grounds while from which they were taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. This is when we experienced rejection. Everything was perfect up to this point. We were in perfect relationships. There was nothing wrong with us between our significant others. There was nothing wrong with us in this world, nothing wrong with us in God. And now we're kicked out of the garden. We're rejected from God's presence. This is the first experience we had in this world of shame. We were now outcasts of God. God didn't abandon us and say, I'm never going to talk to you again, but we were no longer in his presence. We were no longer in a perfect relationship with everyone around us and with this world. We experienced rejection in the shame of rejection for the very first time right then. And the third head of shame is being unclean. And we don't quite see this immediately, but we see in Leviticus 10.10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. We are going to be distinguished between two different types of people, holy and common and unclean and clean. And because of the sin that was in our world, that was in our lives, that was in everything, we are now unclean. And if you guys know anything about Levitical law, unclean wasn't just this thing that you can kind of get rid of. You could try to get rid of it with sacrifices, but it always kept coming back. And it wasn't unclean just because you did something wrong. You were considered unclean by identity. Your identity was unclean and everything you tried to do was to try to get away from that. We were trying to sacrifice animals. We were trying to give our first fruits. We were doing absolutely everything we can to get rid of this title that we said that we were unclean. And that is a complete shame title. Being unclean is filled with shame. And that is, after the garden, was our identity. We were unclean and we were trying to become clean. 
And the only way we could do that was through sacrifices, but that only lasted a couple days, and then you had to make another sacrifice, and there's just repetitiveness that you had to keep doing something in order to be clean. And that was extremely tiresome. And honestly, some of us may still feel like we're in this part of shame. We may still feel like we're experiencing that same shame. Like we are afraid of telling someone our true thoughts or our true feelings. We're afraid of being our true selves because we feel like someone's going to reject us. So instead of taking the risk and saying, hey, I'm going to share with you what I'm thinking, we hide. We run away from people. We try to hide behind whatever we can so that no one can see you. Or you may be afraid of being rejected. You may feel like you're an outcast, like you're alone, like no one loves you, like even your family, they're just forced to be around you. You may feel like you are completely and utterly rejected. And that may be what shame is telling you, that you are unlovable, that no one around you would ever put up with you, that you are unworthy of love. Or you may be still be feeling like you're unclean. Like there's just this deep sense in yourself that there's something wrong with you, and you try absolutely everything you can to change that but it never changes. You change your friends, you change your reading program, you change everything you're doing in life, and yet you still feel like there's something deeply wrong with you. You may not be able to label it, but you still feel like you're unclean. And this is the way shame shows up in all of our lives. And it can become extremely tiresome. Because shame doesn't tend to just stick in one part of our lives. It doesn't just say, hey, at your job, I'm gonna make you feel a little bit shameful. It's gonna be everywhere. It's going to be in all of our relationships. It's going to be in our jobs. It's going to be in our thoughts. It's going to be in our mind. It's going to be everywhere. Shame spreads like wildfire. Yet there's good news. God had a plan. He had a plan to get rid of sin, but along with getting rid of sin, he got rid of shame. Because sin says, I did something wrong, and because of that, I am unclean. And our shame continues to tell us that we are unacceptable to God, that we are unacceptable to others. But when Jesus died on that cross, God said we are accepted. He changed our shame into grace. So we no longer have to live in shame. And we see this all throughout the Bible, but we're going to talk about those three heads of shame again and see how God changed that. And the first head of shame is that we feel like we're naked, like we're exposed and everything and everyone can see our flaws. And because of that, we would never be loved. But in Isaiah 6, 1, 10, it reads, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. We are now clothed. We are no longer naked. We no longer need to be afraid of all of our flaws because God has covered us in his garments of salvation. He has covered us with his robes of righteousness. He has covered us. All of our flaws, all of the things that are wrong with us, God has said, I don't care, I still love you. He has removed that shame, the shame we still live with, of feeling like, hey, we have so much wrong with us, and if anyone really found out, they would, they would just leave me. They would abandon me, so i got to hide it. God says, I see everything that you see and beyond that. I know what you're going to do in the future. I know what you did in your mind. I know the sins that you did that you don't even know. And I still cover you with my clothes. So we are no longer naked. We no longer need to fear those flaws because God has covered us again. So we no longer need to hide those. And that's a hard thing to do. But we no longer need to hide because God's grace covers us. And when we get to the second head of rejection, 
God basically says, you are no longer an outcast. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I know you guys thought we were done with Galatians. We did the whole series, but it's a great book, so we're going to keep reading through it as well. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then a heir through God. We are no longer outcasts. We are no longer rejected. We are no longer just living with God. We are his sons and daughters. We are exalted beyond all creation through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are no longer just even friends of God. We are his sons and daughters. We no longer have to deal with the rejection of shame because God says, I love you so much that I choose to adopt you that I choose for you to be my son, for you to be my daughter, for you to be my loved one, and to go beyond that even of saying, I'm not just going to remove rejection. I'm actually going to make you heirs to the kingdom of God, to eternal life. You are not just my son or God or son or daughter who's just there. You are heirs to the kingdom of God as well. You are equal partners. And that is truly amazing. God is saying, you are no longer rejected. You are no longer unworthy of love. You are no longer an outcast. You are no longer alone. You are a part of his family. And that is truly amazing. And the third part of shame is being unclean. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are no longer unclean because with the blood and death of Jesus Christ, we were washed with that blood to be white as snow. We're now clean. We no longer have to keep doing stuff. We no longer have to obey the Ten Commandments to a T in order to be saved. We no longer have to sacrifice goats and stuff. We no longer have to do that because we are perfectly clean in God's eyes. He wiped away this title and this identity of uncleanness and replaced it with clean, holy, beautiful. So we see through Jesus' death and resurrection on that cross that he didn't just remove sin. He also removed the shame in our lives. And that's not to say that you guys won't experience shame, because we are sadly going to continue to experience shame, to experience those feelings of feeling like we are unlovable, like we have something deeply wrong with us, like there is something that no one else could ever know about us or they reject us, like we need to hide everything. We are still going to have those feelings. But when we're met with those feelings, we can know that God's grace covers our shame. It has all been paid in the earthly opinions of your mom, of your dad, of your brothers, of your sisters, of anyone on this earth, even yourself, do not matter. Because the only, matter, the only opinion that matters is God's. And God says, you are clean, you are holy, you are loved, you are no longer rejected, you are a son and daughter of mine. He is no longer saying that we are out of his kingdom, we are there. We may be sinful, we may be flawful, but God still loves us and has forgiven us of that through his death and resurrection on that cross. And it's very easy to say that, but how do we really apply this? And that's what we're going to get to now, 
how do you apply this when it's so easy to say, hey, God died for your sins and he has removed all shame, yet when you make a presentation at work and it doesn't go over as well as you feel like it should, you now get caught in that shame spiral. You now say, man, I really am a failure. Man, I'm going to get fired next week because I just, I, I can't do anything right. Or, in my case, when I make a mistake in speaking, and we talked about my learning disabilities and my difficulty speaking and all that, when I make a mistake and I'm speaking and I've made a lot today, I immediately go back to that shame spot. I immediately go back to I am unworthy. I'm not worthy of being up here and preaching right now. I'm not worthy of anyone's love. I am stupid. I am a failure. And a lot of you guys may experience that. Whether your shame when you were growing up was in a different area, maybe it wasn't academics, maybe it was relationships, or maybe it's just a shame that kind of feeds into your entire life. You may still meet those shame statements. And the easiest way I've found to combat that is by not finishing the sentence there. So we have a sentence up here that says, I think I am. This is the shame sentence. It says, I think I am unlovable. I think I am not enough. I think I'm a failure. I think I'm worthless. I think I'm bad. And right there is where we normally end this sentence. We put a period there and we say, man, yeah, I am unworthy. I am a failure. I am unlovable. And we end it right there. But God didn't put a period there. He put it a comma there. And with that, we have to add to our sentence of shame. We cannot end it right there because God did not end our stories right there. He added a new statement that says, but God says I am. So when our shame comes up to us and says, you are not enough, no matter what you do, you're not going to be enough for the love of that person. You're not going to be enough for that promotion at your job. You're not going to be enough at all. God's grace says Christ is more than enough. When your shame comes up to you and says you are a failure, you might have made a little mistake, but that defines you as who you are. Everything you've done in life is done by a failure and you could never succeed in your life. God's grace meets us right there and it says, but God says I am a child of God. When your shame says you are unlovable, that there is no way anyone could love you if they truly knew everything that went on in your mind, in your past, in your history, if they knew that there's no way they could love you. God says the creator of this universe chose to love you despite all of those shortcomings. When our shame says we are worthless, we have no worth in this world and no one would ever, the world would just be the same without us. God says we are precious. We are precious to him more than gold. We are precious to the creator of this universe. That is what his grace says. And when our shame says I am bad, I am just, I have a feeling I may not even be able to pick it up and I may not be able to tell you why, but I just feel like I am a failure, I am bad, and there's something so wrong with me that I could never share it with anyone. God says, you are forgiven. So when we meet our shame statements and we put a period at the end of it, that's not the true story. Because God didn't end his story after the fall. God didn't end his story in Leviticus. God didn't end his story in Isaiah. God didn't end his story in shame. God ended his story in grace. And that grace is what covers each and every one of our shames. So when we meet that shame statement and we feel like we are not feeling enough, when we're feeling like we're failures, like we're unlovable, like we are just despicable, that there's something so wrong with us that no one could love us, we need to add on to that sentence of saying, but God says I am. So that's a very simple application for today. It sounds simple, 
but it's very hard when we get those shame statements that we start to believe. When we start to believe those shame statements, the last thing we're gonna do is think about anything else. But when you start to realize that you're feeling like you are unlovable, when you feel like you're a failure, when you feel like you are unworthy, try your best to add a but to that statement and say, but God says I am loved. But God says I am forgiven. But God says I am a son and daughter of his, because again, the opinions of others and the opinions in this world do not compare to God's opinion of us. And his opinion is completely shame-free. And again, we cannot end our sentence in shame because God did not end our stories in shame. He ended it with grace. So with that, let's pray. God, thank you so much for just being a God who didn't just give up on us. A God who after the Garden of Eden and after you realized that we have sinned and that we were unclean, that we were rejected, that we were naked in front of you, Lord, and we were ashamed of it, that you didn't just leave it there. You didn't just let us live in shame for the rest of our lives. You didn't just allow us to live in that shame forever, but you offered an alternative before the Garden of Eden even, Lord. You offered your grace. You had a plan to save us, remove sin from our lives, but also remove shame. And I ask for anyone who's struggling with shame, Lord, struggling on truly believing that they are unlovable, that they are unworthy, that they are a failure, that they are unclean, that they are rejected from everyone, Lord, I ask that you tell them they are not. They are not that to you, and that is the opinion that matters, Lord. You have come to remove our shame and tell us that we no longer have to be afraid of our flaws because you've seen all of them and still love us. That we are no longer unclean, but we are made completely clean through your blood. That we are no longer rejected from you, but we are brother, or sons and daughters of you, Lord. We thank you for the gospel that you have given us, the grace you have offered us to cover our shames, Lord. And I ask that you help us to apply that gospel in our lives when shame comes up in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.